Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to The Postscript. Welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series where we interview pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute, talk about ministry, talk about theology, talk about life. And uh, we hope that it's edifying. We hope that it's strengthening you and your faith and, and you're getting questions answered, but also uh, that you're just having a good time listening to things uh, that, that you haven't quite considered. And so I'm here right now with my friend uh, and pastor, Brian Clark, missionary to London. And uh, welcome. Welcome back. Good to uh, be back. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have to go far, did you? <laughs> no. No. Yeah. That's the convenient thing about this. I even wore the same thing. I know. Yeah. You look good in it, though. So, Well, thank you very much. Um, so in our last episode, we talked about how you got to London, yeah. uh, which I do think is a really encouraging story for people who are considering the mission field or, or even the pastorate. Um, but I want to talk about what you're doing there. Hmm. And uh, so maybe paint, I want to get to evangelism because I want, I want to talk about what it's like reaching people in London, uh, but maybe give, give us an idea of what um, the first couple years of being an autonomous church uh, plant was like. That's, a, that's hard to talk about, to be honest, because the first, about the first three years was, it was real hell on earth. Mm-hmm. It was really awful. And um, because you, you get over there and uh, as a kind of, st- alluded to last time i mean the majority of my life before i entered london was all preparation uh whether it was from my dad or my granddad or my uncle or to bible college to kansas city um i was always in my mind preparing so i I can remember having like theological debates and stuff when i was nine and ten years old because i'm just all the time trying to learn the bible and Mm -hmm. i just knew this is what i was going to do so and um it was it was such a uh, frustrating thing when I arrived in London, and we uh, when we go there as official church planters, and you you walk out your front door on a Monday morning, and I mean there I mean there is no church, there's nothing there. It's just you and your wife at your house, mm-hmm. and you're in this culture that you know uh, they they don't talk to each other, and uh, you you realize you have to create something out of nothing, and. Um, yeah, and you realize at that moment, I have no idea what I'm doing. Yeah, and how do we how do how how do we we get this done? Maybe especially when you're discouraged, you're thinking, how do we get this done? Right. Yeah. So you know, we spent you know a good month just drinking a lot <laughs> and wondering, you know, really rethinking our life decisions, and Mindy looking at me a lot like. Why did I even marry you? What is going on? And uh, so after that, uh, we tried to regroup. After you sobered up, yeah, we tried to re- <laughs> we tried to regroup, and um, yeah, just trying to figure out, you know, what are we doing? Yeah. So uh, I mean, I I went through. Uh, I mean, it really. It, it's uh, I'm a little bit ashamed in some ways, but. Um, I just started reading every book I could get my hands on about church planting, you know, asking people. I remember I went up to a respected pastor and uh, that I, I met him. I went over and met him in Amsterdam and went up to him and I was like, I knew he had been on the mission field and stuff. And I was like, hey, man, you know, pulled him aside um, just real quick. How, how do you plant a church, you know? And uh, 
And he, he gave said, you a magic bean? No, he, he told me. He, he was very honest, which I was very appreciative of. But he said, I have no idea. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, both the churches that I pastored were already started when I pastored them. And he says, and I'm not European. So I got nothing. Mm -hmm. He said, you just got to take the things that you were taught and do the best you can. And I get away from a kid, you bother me. Something like that. And so I, I was like, all right. So, and I was appreciative of his honesty. I was glad that he didn't try to snow me and just make mm -hmm. something up. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you know, I'm still kind of in the same place. Um, and so I'm still reading everything I can. And so the, the frustrating thing about that time was that uh, you know that you don't know what you're doing, but you feel like you're the only one. You feel like that you like missed the class or something. Like you should know. You should know what you're doing, but you don't. So you can't really tell people that you don't know what you're doing uh, because everyone just assumes that you know what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, and you're getting support dollars back right. home. And, right. And how do you communicate the things yeah. are, that the field is rocky and tough? and Right. So your updated letters are like, you know, I haven't shaved in four days <laughs> and I uh, I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, please pray for us, you know, love, send, love send you, cash. the Clarks. And, uh, you know, that's a, makes for a terrible update letter. That's like the, that's like the letter that you send home from college. <laughs> yeah, <You know? laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, so actually people don't do that. They don't send letters home from college. They don't. That was like a joke as though I was like 50 or 60 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We email, I think. Yeah, now. I think so. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, um, I started reading all the books and all the books, they, they had lots of great information in them and stuff, but uh, they all start about the same way. And they all start with, okay, so you take like your first 30 people, you know, that you, in, as your team, like a plant team and get your website and your sign and you, your location and, you know, send out all the letters, let everyone know that you're there, develop your uh, launch service. And, you know, they go through the whole thing. And, but after, you know, every book that I could read, I'm always thinking, where do you get the 30 people? <laughs> I mean, it's assuming that you're starting with a team. Yes. They always really assume that the, uh, the area of zero to 30, uh, what I discovered later is that that particular area, that's elusive to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, unless you have a team that you've put together of, you know, a, a launch team, which is in the United States is typically the way you would do it. Right. And, and, and rightfully so. But yeah. Uh, but that zero to 30, uh, that's really difficult. And I, I thought I was the only one who didn't know. Um, but I started going to the church plant seminars even, listening to people. And those were a little bit more comforting because uh, when I would listen to them, I realized they didn't know what they were doing either. Mm. And um, so that was a little bit, um, I, I figured out I wasn't the only one who didn't really know. Mm. Um, but that didn't help me because I still, you know, don't have a church and I'm church planner. That's a problem. And so, uh, so you just try to start figuring out doing every, uh, gimmick that you can think of, mm. you know, and I had tons of people at the time telling me, you know, forget this discipleship stuff, man. Ooh, people you, in people in London. Uh, no people from the United States telling me you, you need to forget about this discipleship stuff. It's uh, getting in the way. Yeah, they told me very clearly you cannot plan a church on discipleship. You you know, you need to figure out how to get people in the seats. You need to fill a room with people. Which sounds out. like American advice in many regards because it's yeah. like it's like uh 
quick solutions. Mm-hmm. Send out the flyers, you know, yeah. sound the alarm, have a band, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Dress, the, dress, dress cool. The problem was is that uh, in London, uh, lost people don't go to church. Right. Uh, that seems to be an American phenomenon. Yeah. Um, because why would they? Yeah, it seems like a waste of time. Right. They don't go. Uh, in fact, in London, most often, you know, Christians don't go to church. And so we did everything we could. We passed on every flyer. We had so many big events and things, you know, because I was like, man, what do I know? I'm going to mm-hmm. try everything I can. And I tried every bad idea. And um, and we never had a single person accept an invitation to any event. So we're there, me and Mindy and like two or three people that I had pulled in along the way, you know, tables full of food, you know, you know, the whole service planned out. And just nobody come. I mean, which just adds insult oh, to injury. Yeah. So you're sitting there, you know, and you're looking over at your wife, and she's like, "What's the matter with you?" <laughs> I first of all, I know your wife. <laughs> she didn't do that. No, she, she didn't. probably hurt for you. She uh, probably wasn't even thinking about herself. She was probably hurting for you. Well, yeah, we were. Yeah, we were hurting together, I yeah. suppose. And one time, I even thought, you know, I've got to try to talk to someone about Jesus. And uh, I even set up like a little coffee stand next to a bus stop that was close to our house. I could literally see my front window, my front door from the bus stop. Mm. And I, it said free coffee on it. And I thought if people, I'll give them, as they're going off to work, I'll give them free coffee. I mean, this sounds ridiculous as I'm telling you. But, um, and they the people were uh, passing me by and they were going into the little corner shop to pay for coffee just to avoid just to avoid you. me uh the only guy who took a cup of coffee was my neighbor who knew me he's like <laughs> he's like hey brian and he took the coffee and he just got on the bus and went to work and i'm just standing there you know big urn of coffee i look over and there's mindy in the window she's just looking at me like what what is wrong with you you know and i told her i said man look a bad idea is better than no idea yeah, sure. i i got to do and uh so you don't even i mean realize like all of the humiliating ideas that you try and attempt. And I knocked on every door. I talked to every single person. I sent out letters. The only letter I got back was a guy telling me, please stop writing me letters. And uh, we tried everything to get people to, you know, to fill the seats. Wow. And which was in, in hindsight, it was uh, demoralizing then. Um, But in hindsight, it was really such a wonderful experiment. Because yeah. it really demonstrated to us that, you know, what we believed all along about discipleship, especially as it related to that culture, was exactly right. Yeah. Because you had to, un- you actually had undoing to do. Mm-hmm. Like the business in, in, in London is about undoing a hundred years of pure secularism. Sure. Well, and, uh, and Christian culture mm-hmm. mixed in. Yeah. And um, so we had to, deal with all that. And that, that first three years, um, was, uh, you know, really difficult because of that. And, um, well, let me, let me ask you this question. Um, in that time, what was it like in terms of, of the people that were supposed to be supporting you back home? I mean, did you have, were friends calling you, giving, you know, telling you, Hey man, it's, it's going to be okay. I'm praying for you. Um, what was it like? I mean, I assume it was a very lonely, but you had all these people back home that were supposed to be there for you, I imagine. 
Hmm. What was that like? Well, that I think that was probably the one of the hardest parts of that first three years. Um, and um, and it, you know, it's always been there's always been a challenge, but the those first three years really stick out as being uh, particularly difficult. Um, uh, the I talked about how in Kansas City, you know, that I was trained in discipleship and. And I, I'll never be able to repay, you know, what, you know, they did in my life. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, that, that same church had made a big shift. Once we left for London, that church made a big shift in their philosophy. And so they ended up being the very ones that came and told me, look, you cannot build a church on discipleship and you, you need to shift more to an attractional model of ministry mm-hmm. and megachurch ministry style you know, to them, they thought, you know, Hillsong, because we have a Hillsong in London, Hillsong was really the model for what a church is supposed to look like, you know, and uh, that was what was most attractive to them. And um, and so this idea of, you know, winning one person at a time to Christ and making disciples and reproducing, they're like, you know, that's going to take you your whole life. So, so in other words, bail on everything that we... Whatever we told you, just just cut that out. Yeah. Um, uh, change your approach. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did that do to you? Well, it was. I mean, it was really difficult, but it was it was more than that because what they told me specifically, they came to visit. You know, and they were there in my living room, and they told me they said uh, they said the truth is, um, you don't have what it takes to do this job, and um, so you really just need to pack it up and go home. And so, uh, and of course, I mean, you know, I had the, I had, you know, so much respect for these people. I mean, I, uh, in, in some ways, I guess I kind of idolized some of them. And, um, so that was really hard. And, uh, and then of course they left and, uh, and you sat to think some more. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was really, that became really dark after that. Because you really start to think, well, I mean, obviously these people know what they're talking about, so maybe they're right. And of course, I've been, like I said, this has been what my entire life had been leading up to this point. Yeah, you knew so in your heart of hearts that this is exactly where God had sent you. Yeah. You know, in a lot of these conversations that I have with pastors, um, I, conversations like this come up. I mean, big surprise, ministry is really hard. The following Christ costs yeah. a lot. And uh, and the question that I, I find myself asking them a lot of times is in those dark seasons, how, how do you recover yourself? Like, where do you go uh, to to seek God's face, and and where where did you find grace? Yeah. And I guess that's my question. Yeah, um, I, I I went you know to the Word and in prayer, and I had I can't even count how many conversations, very frank and real conversations with God saying, uh, you know, because I, I agreed with them. I mean, I looked around and everything I tried had failed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't like I had a lot to disprove them, you know. Right. And um, and so I I went to God and just said, you know, obviously you picked the wrong person. You know, there's people out there because you still think you're the one that doesn't get it. Yeah. And so you're like, there's obviously people out there that can do this better and you should pick them. You know, this the glory of your name is on the line. And um, so you need to find someone else. And, um, and he always would just say, just keep going. That would be all he would give me in that little time of prayer. Mm-hmm. Just, just keep going. And, uh, and I would come back again and back again and back again. And, um, 
And I remember specifically one day in the Word, specifically, he took me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, and mm-hmm. showed me, you know, where it says, uh, for you see your calling, brethren, you know, not many wise are chosen, not many, you know, and he goes through that whole thing. And um, and he he really showed me in that day, he said, you remember those people who came and told you that you didn't have what it takes? And I was like, you know, yeah. He said, well, they were right. He's like, but that's the point. Mm-hmm. He says, you, the reason why you're down and because you're depressed and all of this is because, um, and I was, you know, I mean, I love to laugh like more than anybody. There was no laughter. I mean, it was, it was dark. And, uh, he said, the reason why is because you've forgotten your Bible. I mean, these are, that's always the people I pick. The people I pick are always the ones who are unqualified, the ones who don't think they've got it and which they don't you know? And I always choose Gideon who's behind the wine press, scared to death. But when I come to him, I call him a mighty man of valor because, you know, that's, that's what I'm going to do through him. But that's always the ones that I pick, you know, and I, I, I whittle him down to just his 300 guys, not the 10,000. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he says, that's always the way I do things so that no flesh can glory in my sight. No, no flesh can glory. He says that whenever we do this thing, then everyone's going to know that you didn't do it because anyone who knows you knows that you're not the one. And, and that's the point. So everyone's mm-hmm. going to know that I did this. Yeah. And, um, and he made it really clear to me that my, uh, ineptitude, my own personal shortcomings, um, were, were part of why he picked me. He, he told me, he says, I, I didn't pick you because you're good. I picked you because you're not. And, um, so, uh, I, I was, I, I rose up from the, that long season mm. and, um, and I knew once again, that I was exactly where God needed me to be. And I even went to other pastors to ask for counsel. And the Bible says there's safety in right. counselors, and uh, it's easy to get in your own head. And so I, I went and talked to other, and every one of them without hesitation was like, oh, you should stay. You should stay. This is where God called you. It's exactly where you should stay. But I'm not a person that's, you know, is, that rebels against authorities. Uh, I don't believe in that. Yeah. And so... Um, I was like, I'm kind of in a place here, you know, because they're telling me to leave. Yeah. And, uh, but they came to me over the phone this time and they said, look, we think that you should pack it up. They said, but if you feel like that God wants you to stay, then you have our permission to stay. And that was just like the grace of God. Wow. And I said, I'll take it. Yeah. And, uh, and praise the Lord. I was able to stay there and never rebel against my authorities. I never didn't have to do that. Uh, I was able to stay submissive, uh, but I was able to stay as mm-hmm. well. And um, and so it was like a real wonderful time for me and Mindy that he had confirmed once again that we were, but we also knew more about ourselves now. Yeah, you'd been broken. Oh, we, yeah, yeah. We'd, we'd been broken, but we also knew that God had picked us, mm-hmm. that we knew for one of the first times in our lives that we really were missionaries to the city of London. And... There was no question about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we also knew that we had just lost about $1,000 a month in support. And so that was a real joy. <laughs> but, was, but again, it just reinforced that even 
you know, like I've 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 heard you preach this and teach mm-hmm. this, but those that materially, like so, God had broken you down emotionally and spiritually to the lowest common denominator. Yeah, and and so he he wasn't afraid to do that materially either. Right. Uh, to make you even more dependent on him in that regard as well. So okay, so newfound faith in London, yeah, and then and so how did that manifest itself? What began to change in terms of the way you held yourself and did ministry and and prayed and uh, like what what were the changes that were being made? It was uh, it was very profound. I mean, in fact, I'm so thankful for that time now when I mm-hmm. look back um, because it was it's what really made us who we are. Um, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing in London if all of that hadn't happened. So I mean, mm-hmm. there's really no bitterness. There's no you know anything like that. Um, I just uh, am so thankful for that time. Mm-hmm. And um, because even though we knew this is where we wanted us to be, but we still don't have a church. We, we're still there. And uh, and by the way, all of that money that we lost was replenished without a single phone call within three months. I wow. mean, pastors came out of the woodwork. I mean, they didn't even know that this was happening and uh, gave us more support. God replenished all that. And, uh, and we didn't have to look for any of it. Man. Yeah, that was wonderful. But um, so I, you know, going back to God now and uh, saying, so what do I do? And he, he was very clear. He's like, it's not complicated. You know, he said, here's what church planters are always asking. The question that they're always asking is what will work? That's the question that all these books ask. What's going to work? Right. And that's not a bad question. It just shouldn't be your first question. The first question that you should answer is, what did he tell you to do? And I was, you know, so I'm in these conversations with God, and, uh, you know, I literally got no one else to bounce things off of, per se. And, uh, and he's like, so what did I tell you to do? And I'm like, well, Mark 16, 15, he said, go preach the gospel. He's like, yeah, just go do that. And I'm like, he's like, you got, you know, just in your borough alone, you got like, you know, 600,000 people. So go preach the gospel to them. And this just spun me into this whole thing of, you know, you need to find a way to get the gospel to lost people. Did you immediately go into the street and start sharing the gospel? I mean... Well, I I started toying with it because it's not in my personality to just approach people in the street. You're Uh, a relational guy. You thought that's the best way of... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually very much more like a British person personality-wise uh, than I am like an American, uh, because I would rather, when I'm on the street, not talk to anybody either. Mm-hmm. That'd be my preference. I'm just not, contrary to what some people might think of me, I'm not really an extroverted person. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'd much rather be in a room by myself. <laughs> and uh, so talking to people in the street, I was like, forget it. You know, mm-hmm. but I started tiptoeing out there, and um, my first time I ever tried, I went to this place, one of my favorite places, packed full of people, and I sat there for like two and a half hours. I didn't say a word to anybody, and I came home, and that was actually my very first attempt to try to share the gospel with people. I came home, and Mindy's like, you know, so how'd it go? You know, and I'm like, just don't even talk to me. <laughs> I, I don't even want to talk to anybody right now. I mean, what was going through your head? Like you're waiting for the the open door. You were waiting for like God to just put something on your lap and and oh no I was just I just I, I, I knew fear. yeah I was paralyzed with fear and of course in the back of your head is they're right see you're not the one supposed to be here sure. obviously you don't have the goods 
you were still finding a way to kill that lie. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I eventually, you know, I, I went out to the high street that was by our house and I started passing out tracks and it was kind of a middle ground and I got really good at that, man. I mean, I could put a track in someone's hand that didn't even want it, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, I was like a gunslinger with those tracks, man. <laughs> I was just, uh, giving them to everybody, but the Lord really convicted me. He's like, that's not what I told you to do. And, uh, but I was in my office and by office, I mean a bedroom upstairs yeah. converted with a desk, yeah. you know? And so, sure. uh, this group called Jews for Jesus, they call me and they're like, is this Crossroads Baptist church? And I'm like, if you can call it that, you know, it's me and my wife and a few people. Yeah. And, um, so like, well, Hey, we're Jews for Jesus. So I'm like, well, so what do you want? And I could feel the Holy Spirit. Cause I was like, you know, I'm in a bad place. And so I could feel the Holy Spirit saying, be nice. <laughs> And, uh, and so I'm like, so, uh, what do you want? <laughs> you know, I'm trying to be nice. But I'm like, it's like, well, you know, what we do is we try to go out and try to, you know, win Jews, you know, for Jesus. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's in the name. I got that. So what do you, why are you calling me? And, uh, and they're like, well, what's, what we do is we go out on the street we talk with people one-on-one -on -one, and all of a sudden I was like, huh, this is more interesting. And, uh, you tell me about that, you know, and long story short, they invited me out to their head office in Golders Green, a heavily Jewish area. And, um, and they, they showed me how that they do what they do on the street. They even put a Jews for Jesus t-shirt on me. They took me out on the street with them and they, they trained me how you look like an ethnic Jew. Oh, right. <laughs> it's, it's all over you. It's all over me. Right. And, uh, and it was wonderful. I mean, uh, until you've been flipped off by an Orthodox Jew, you just haven't lived. Wow. Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, talking about the squiggles and the hat. You didn't know that was possible. I know, man. And it was wonderful. I, I was spit on that day. I was uh, threatened. It was it was an intense day. But these guys took the time. And, and out of everything that they told me, there was just this one piece that they gave me um, that changed the way that I share the gospel forever. So I took that one piece and I, I used that and I developed that into the evangelistic process that we use to this day. Okay, so explain that because there's been a lot of uh, folks from Living Faith Fellowship who've come out and visited you in London and have, have learned mm -hmm. um, from you about how to be on the street and share the gospel. Um, but for people who haven't, people who, um, you know, I mean... Let's face it, Christians in America aren't doing a whole lot of street uh, evangelism right. anymore. And, and I think even, I think people are going to, you're going to mm -hmm. talk about this. This is what I'm anticipating. You're going to talk about this. You're going to share it. Mm -hmm. And there will be people who are Bible-believing Christians who will at some level doubt the validity <laughs> of being on the street and being confrontational. And I want you to share how, mm. but more importantly, um, the, the why as far as a, ma a mandate. Yeah, because there is an aspect for which that kind of evangelism is is promoted in Scripture, and and so I think I, I want to hear all that. Well, I think that first of all, I mean, let me say, I, I don't, there's nothing sacrosanct about being on the street per se. Mm -hmm. uh, we go out there because, um, well, let me say that in any culture that you find yourself, it's important. Culture is nothing more than social rules that you have to observe. Yeah, uh, but if you're going to plant churches. Uh, it's important that you know the rules of culture, but it's also important that you know when to break those rules. Mm. 
because the cultural rules are good guides, but they're also what got you to where you are. So you're going to have to break some of those rules at some point. And uh, so you have to know the culture the best so that you know when to break them. Mm-hmm. And we're breaking a cultural rule by going out on the street, you know, in this sense. Um, but it's really the only way in our culture that we can have a continual conversation so, with lost people. So explain the cultural rule that people aren't yeah. familiar with London. What is like, explain the cultural rule that exists. Well, not only do you not really talk to people on the street per se, like when you cross paths with someone, there's not a whole lot of good mornings and, right. you know, talking people are more to themselves, which actually I think is great. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's what I would prefer, but, uh, that just happens to be the way that they are. And even when you do have conversations, there's an understood surface conversation you have, you know, and how are the kids and the weather and uh, who won the football game. But as far as, you know, what you believe and, you know, faith in God, and it's it's understood that, you know, you don't really cross that line. Um, it becomes very uncomfortable very fast. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so we had to uh, find a way to get the gospel to lost people and being out on what we call the high street or what you might call the main street, uh, is the only way that we could find that we could constantly become, come in contact with, uh, lost people. Because not only do people in London not talk to each other, but normal social lines there have all but been severed. Uh, people travel into the city to work around people, uh, of, of whom they don't live around and they come back to their home, uh, to live around people they don't know. And Mm -hmm. their, their friends are on Facebook, but they don't know their neighbors. And, um, and again, I'm not judging the culture. It is what it is, yeah. you know, and I love the city. I think it's the greatest city in the world. But in trying to figure out how you can get the gospel to people, all, you know, we figured this is what we got to do. So, I, you know, this is what drove me out there was the need to get the gospel to lost people. But I'm not saying that being on the street is the only way to do it. Sure. I think the principle is that wherever you are, you just have to find a way Mm-hmm. to be constantly sowing seeds, whatever that might look like. But if you have a ministry and you're not sowing seeds into the hearts of lost people, um, then we're, we need to rethink what we're doing, sure. however it might look. And so we figured out a way that we could do that. And, um, and that's what really changed things for us. And, um, and so, I mean, I can, I can explain. No, I want you to explain. What what does it look like? So the high street is kind of a shopping district, right? Like there's a lot, even tourists are are there walking back and forth. And so what does it look like? You're out there with a few people and how's that go? What's it look like? Well, our high street in in the borough Bromley where I live, Mm -hmm. our high street is, it's really one of the best high streets Um, Mm -hmm. and it's all pedestrianized. So you don't have any cars or anything. And uh, so it's like a little, it's like a river of people. So we just stand out there. We have our church t-shirts on and Bibles and tracks. And, and we just stand there and, and we just have intimate one-on-one conversations with people. And we stand out there, you know, for a good part of the day. And, and then we go home. Yeah. And, and so uh, we try to, you know, try to do that. And what are the conversations often? I mean, what are they often like? What are the people in London? Are they willing to talk? And when they do, how does it go? What are, you know... Well, the, what we've done, or like the process that we've developed over time, and especially with that one piece that God really gave me, um, was we developed a system called Just Ask, and that's based on the acronym ASK. Okay. And that stands for, you know, ask for permission, share the gospel, and keep the conversation going. And um, 
And what's great about that is that it's not necessarily, I suppose it is a technique of sorts, but it's not, uh, it's more of a construct uh, that you can really drop everything that you know about evangelism in. You don't have to Mm -hmm. disregard that. Um, Everything you can learn about evangelism can be of help. This, these three things really just help you to navigate through any conversation you might find yourself in. So you just need to understand wherever you are in the conversation, have I asked them for permission to talk about this? Right. Because uh, I think that that's the most polite way uh, to be bold without burning the bridge. Just mm-hmm. ask them. And yeah. if they tell you I'm not interested, you're like, cool. And then you move on to someone who is. Right. Um, but then the S, wherever you find yourself in that conversation, however it looks, have I actually shared the gospel with them? Death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, sin, repentance, yeah, faith. The, ter- the terms. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then if I have, um, am I always, and this, is the, the, this was the piece that I got from Jews for Jesus that really was such a great thing was the K. And that was, uh, we're not trying to just have one conversation with people. I'm trying to have 10 conversations with mm-hmm. people because it usually takes more than one. I'm not expecting people to bow their knee on the high street and give their life to Christ. That's happened, but it's rare. Um, But what I am looking to do is I'm hoping that I can maybe move this uh, to a coffee, you know, and I can move this to several coffees. Where you can open the Bible and have more conversation. Right. So, and this applies to everywhere I'm at in my life. It doesn't matter if I'm at the grocery store or on the high street. Anytime that I'm talking to someone about Christ, I'm always thinking, how can I keep this conversation going? Mm-hmm. How can I have 10 conversations with this person, not, yeah. not just one? Yeah, that's great. Oh, and, I, and I think yeah. with, with, with that, I mean, we talked at the Mission Focus Conference um, yeah. this year, we talked a lot about evangelism, and we talked about methods and constructs and philosophy right. of evangelism. It's been really important, and I would recommend that, that listeners would go to LF Fellowship and, and hear the, the preaching and teaching on those subjects. But mm-hmm. um, you're actually teaching the evangelism class this year in LFBI. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I wanted us to hear a little bit of your testimony in terms of evangelism yeah, uh, so that we'd get a primer and, and, and hear a little bit more about that yeah. and how God's used that. And, and so just to close this episode, give us a snapshot of where the church is right now in terms of how God's used evangelism mm-hmm. and how he's built a church in London. Well, I would say that um, uh, with this thing that this is what God did that kind of really changed the whole direction of what we were doing. Um, everyone that's in our church is either there uh, directly or indirectly because of what we initially started doing on the high street. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened in two ways. And I think that anytime that you get involved in evangelism, uh, proactively involved in evangelism, going out to them, yeah, um, that you always do, you always see two things happen. Uh, one, you will see lost people get saved, right? Uh, you will, so you will not only be a witness to the lost, but you'll be an example to the saved. Mm-hmm. And you will see people that will see, man, these, so, these guys are doing something, and I want to be a part of someone yeah, who's doing something. Yeah, yeah. And so we've seen both things happen. We've seen people get saved, and we baptize them, start discipling them. But we also see other Christians come along and be like, man, can you teach me how to do that? Yeah. And so everyone that's been that's in our church is is you know as a result of that in some way shape or form. Mm. And uh, there is one lady named Debbie, and she's amazing. She's from Australia, and she's so full of energy. And um, every Australian I know is is full of energy. She is 
Yeah, she is delightfully out of her mind. And, <laughs> and this is why I tell her all the time. And she is just wonderful. I, I think she's great. Yeah. And the way we met is she's a believer. And she came up to me. I was on the high street. She came up to me. And this was before the T-shirts or anything. I was just in plain clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys wear T-shirts that say, no, no religion, just, just Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, which is the name of your podcast, too. I want to promote that. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, But this is before that. I, I was just out there in my clothes by myself. This is before we had any kind of stuff. And um, she walked up to me and gave me a tract, and she started trying to witness to me. And I was like, man, that, I pulled mine out. I said, that's what I'm doing out here. And we exchanged tracts, and she looked at my tract, and she was like, I've got to come to your church. And she's been at our church ever since. Wow. We, we met because we tried to witness to each other. Praise God. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. And she's a great example of a Christian who was like, so there's a church that's trying to do this? Because she felt like I'm on my own doing yeah. it. And she wanted to do it. We've had other people say, man, you guys are so excited about like really, really trying to do something. We want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, it's kind of grown from there. Uh, now we're starting to see people, even as they're coming, they're getting excited about the way we preach the Bible. But uh, the initial foundation was all from the high street. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, people coming and saying, yeah, we want to either get saved or we want to be a part of it. Man, that's exciting. Yeah. Um, Man, th- I want to thank you first for sharing your the honesty uh, about the struggle. Uh, yeah. And I think it's important for people to hear that. A lot of that stuff gets glossed over and not talked about, but I want to make sure that our growing leaders especially hear those stories so that they can truly count the costs and recognize that Christ is worth it. Mm. And uh, and then also just to share about evangelism and, and how you do that. And, and um, I'm sure you would invite any folks from Living Faith Fellowship to come and, and join you and, and, and help you in that work. I hope I'm not speaking... Maybe not anybody, <laughs> well, I think, but you want people to occasionally come out. I think one thing that's important to say really quick yeah. is that um, it, it's important to remember, especially when you're you know in the field, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, is that these tragedies that happen, yeah. um, they're not random and it's not like something's gone wrong. It's not right. a random mistake. Uh, these are these happen to you on purpose. Yeah, they're part of the process. Yeah, God yeah. is doing that. Yeah, and so it's important to remember. He means that. it for your good. Because yeah, I felt like I felt my my whole life was a random mistake at the moment. Yeah, but we learned that uh, it's really not about the trial. The issue is who are you going to trust in the mm-hmm. midst of it, yeah. and so that was a tough lesson to learn. But it's a good one. And praise God, you learned it oh, because yeah. your your church is a testimony to to many many churches about boldness and, and faith. So well, thank yeah, you. Yeah. And we want to thank you for joining us as well for another episode of The Postscript. You can learn more about The Postscript show at lfbi.org. Uh, you can go to our YouTube channel and, and watch the backlog of all the episodes. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or on your Android platform. You can find us there as well. Subscribe. Please subscribe. Uh, like the show. Write a review. Uh, we would love to have your feedback as well. So we hope this episode has been encouraging to you and strengthening, and we'll see you next week for another episode.